prophecy. And so we're going to be talking about that on the 9th. We hope to have a special guest next Saturday. And today we have a, a very interesting guest who's going to be calling in in a minute, who's actually an expert on the shroud, the burial shroud of Jesus. Now this has been a very interesting topic, an archaeological find, that has many indicators that this could actually have been the, the, the cloth yeah. that Jesus was wrapped in in his uh, burial. Mm -hmm. And of course we see in each of the Gospels have an account where the apostles go in and they see the cloth folded. And it suggested that this thing was kept and preserved through the centuries. But it has many interesting features that have caused even secular, unbelieving scientists to look at this. And, and to, where he's going to call in in a second. I know, David, you did some research on this your own. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's fascinating. You know, um, as a kid, I remember um, looking at it briefly, but we never dived into it. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the issue really is, uh, does, it, does it date back to the time of Christ? Or is it a, a hoax? And exactly. uh, and I think those are some of the things that uh, we'll talk about today. Um, and so um, I, I think some of the more interesting things is just kind of where the shroud is. And, you know, have they done some of this uh, carbon testing on it? And if so, what were the results of that? Um, you know, uh, d did the testing come out right? Were there any issues with the testing that they did recently? I think it was in 1978. Yeah, so, we're going to look at all yeah. those particulars. You know, it comes back to the fact that the resurrection, that is the central feature of the Christian faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection, then we are fools to be pitied of all men, if there's no empty tomb. But everything rests and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that we cannot go to his tomb, mm -hmm. so to speak, the burial. I mean, you can go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and see where the tomb was, what they believe is good historical fact. But it comes to the fact that, you know, all other religions are based on teachings, but, but really Christianity is based on a person. And the incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas, and then the crucifixion, and then the resurrection, of course, followed by the ascension, is such an important part of this is the central pillar of our Christian faith. And I had one person say to me once, well, why couldn't, we, Jesus just been a great teacher and not die on the cross well, and not yeah. rose from the dead. It doesn't work then for us. See? You, yeah. Why have, must there be the shedding of blood? Yeah, mm -hmm. and, right. And we know we went over this mm -hmm. because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Right. And so you get this equation. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Sin equals death. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. But blood equals life. Mm -hmm. Okay. The life of the body is in mm -hmm. the blood. So when you... To, to pay for sin, you, you, you cancel it out by the shedding of blood in God's sight. Right. You see, atonement yeah. is made. And that's all the way from Genesis mm -hmm. when God covers Adam and Eve with animal skin. They cover themselves with leaves. He covers them with animal skins, which means what? The innocent died for the guilty. It's substitutionary. What did the animal do? Nothing wrong. He died. He's, okay. And so uh, well, I think we have our special guest calling in right now, Wanda. Thank you. Okay. Hello, David. Yes, hello, John. Oh, I'm so happy you called. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, you the same. Okay. And, uh, what a wonderful season to uh... We got a very clear connection. I want to introduce you to our station. Uh, we're out here in Lorraine, and this is Wanda Ewing, our station engineer. Good morning. Good morning, Wanda. And my assistant, David Aboud, who will actually graduated from where you'll be speaking. You're going to talk more about that, St. Ignatius. David, how are you? Nice to meet you. Thanks for being here today. Oh, absolutely, man. It's, 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 a, it's a thrill to be here. Okay, David, I, I'm going to start. Uh, we gave a little brief intro about the topic today. 
And I want you to give a little, maybe a biographical sketch of yourself, introduce yourself to the audience. And then as we go through the show, of course, we want to give out contact information of some of the events that are coming up and how people can get involved. But if you would, David, just give us a little background about yourself and how you got interested in this subject. I'm a retired teacher. I was a teacher for 25 years, health and physical education uh, in the Cleveland schools and private Christian schools and things like that. Uh, so that's what I did uh, for my vocation. But um, over the years, uh, actually it started, uh, it started in 1980. I guess, I guess you can say... Um, I was having a crisis of faith, uh, I suppose, is, is the way to term it. And at that time, in June of 1980, um, National Geographic came out with an article in, in their June magazine about the Shroud of Turin. And uh, two years prior, in 1978, it was tested. Uh, for the first time, really, and only time. Explain the Shroud. The listeners might not yeah, know okay. this. Yeah, okay, very good. The Shroud of Turin, yes. Of course, the Shroud of Turin is a burial cloth purported to have an image of Jesus Christ on it. That's the Shroud of Turin. Shroud, of course, means covering. Turin is a city in Italy, uh, Torino in Italian, where it's been since 1578. And we can, we can take it back, uh, I believe, to the tomb. And, and, and we talk about that. Uh, the historical evidence that takes it back, and maybe we can get into that as we get on sure. into the program. But uh, but so so it has an image on it of a crucified man, and many believe uh, that over the centuries uh, it bears testimony to the uh, gospel accounts of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So so this is the shroud of Turin, and so in 1980, uh, June of 80, National Geographic came out with an article, and they had published uh, pictures of the testing that had taken place in Turin on the Shroud two years earlier in 1978 by a team of approximately 40 scientists, mainly from the United States. The name of this uh, organization was called STIRP, uh, the acronym Shroud of Turin Research Project. And, uh, and so uh, in 1978, they were given access to, for the first time ever, this clock to look at it. And they had it for five days, five 24-hour days around the clock. Some of the laboratories that were uh, represented were, you might have heard of this one, John, NASA. That was a laboratory. And uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory that works on space programs. And uh, Los Alamos to develop the atomic clock. These were some of the institutions facilities that brought their top-notch scientists, whatever uh, the uh, discipline was, over there to look at it using the most sophisticated equipment on the earth, as long as there was no destructive testing, which there was. So two or three years later in 80, National Geographic published the results, and there were pictures of the shroud, and scientific data, historical data, and I was transfixed when I read this. And so that began my interest in the shroud. And like I said, at that time I was having, I think, a, you know, an identity crisis, I guess, uh, you know, spiritually and things like that. And then this thing came along. And so it's great. It grabbed my attention back then and it's held it ever since. So you've been, this has really been your avocation since uh, your teaching days is the study of the shroud, which purportedly is the burial cloth of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And... 
I know that fast forward, and we're going to be talking about this more later, you're actually giving lectures and conferences on this in the near future. Is that right, David? Correct. Can you give those sites, and then we'll, we'll, we'll circle back on that again as we go through the show. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, you want me to give the, uh, the information? Yeah, why don't you give the information now, and then we'll, do, we'll repeat it again. I just want the listeners very to know. Good. Okay, very good. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to that uh, that this is our initial announcement, uh, Man in the Shroud Ministries. This is my uh, ministry called Man in the Shroud Ministries. And uh, you can go to maninthashroud.org to see my website. And this information that I'm about to give you is on my website. But this is the first time we've made public that we are bringing to Northeastern Ohio next year in March of 18, first two weeks of March. A world-class traveling Man of the Shroud exhibit. This is called the Man of the Shroud exhibit. Not to be confused with Man in the Shroud Ministries. But anyway, we are bringing uh, next March, the first two weeks of March, this exhibit, this traveling exhibit to Northeastern Ohio, and it's going to be in two sites. Um, by the way, it's called uh, A Face-to-Face -face Encounter with Jesus. That's the We ask the question, is this who we're looking at? We're not making declarative statements. However, we give data, facts, research, empirical evidence that, you know, uh, one can draw a reasonable conclusion. So, so we, we ask the question. And we say examining the mystery uh, where science meets faith. This event, face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. So we're bringing the exhibit. Uh, the first week of March at the St. Ignatius Breen Center, which uh, is on the campus of St. Ignatius uh, High School on Lorraine Avenue. And again, you can get this information on my website, the exact location, the exact times and things which I will tell you. But uh, in case someone's driving and they can't write it down, on my website, manandshaw.org, uh, you click on, you know, coming soon, 2018, March, and you'll see this information I'm giving you. But uh, in uh, Wednesday, March 7th through Friday, March 9th, there will be public viewing at the St. Ignatius Breed Center, which is on 20th and Lorraine Avenue. I'm sorry, West 30th. That's where it's So we are going to have public uh, hours Wednesday, March 7th through Friday, March 9th, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The public can come and view this, this exhibit. And then that Friday, uh, I will speak in the evening, uh, March 9th from 7, 7 p.m., uh, after the public viewing of the exhibit. And I will give a PowerPoint presentation on the historical, scientific, and theological aspects of the Shroud. And uh, uh, admission for that event is, is $10. And I should say uh, to the viewer, to the listener, uh, that um, every cent of the ticket uh, admission price is going to go to uh, wonderful Christian ministries such as Cleaning Right to Life, uh, which is one of the foremost uh, pro-life organizations in Ohio. So we're going to save babies for that money. And Voice of the Martyrs. Mm -hmm. 
executed in Muslim countries and the persecuted church. So this is, you know, this is where the money's going. So that's Friday, uh, a, t- a ticketed presentation by myself uh, after the public viewing is over with, which goes from Wednesday through the ninth Friday. And then I speak the following week. I'll be at my church, Grace uh, Middleburg, uh, Church in Middleburg Heights, Grace Christian Missionary Alliance Church, I'll be there the following week, Wednesday, March 14th, uh, and Friday, March 16th. I'll be there from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., I should say, in the Pacific. And then Thursday, we have different hours. It's from 3 to 9 p.m. in the Pacific. It's open to the public. Okay, so we'll... And they can see that information. Yeah, that, that's pretty... Yeah. The yeah, main the following thing. following Friday, though, I, I, I just want to make uh, a mention. The following Friday, we're doing the same thing. I'll be speaking at 7 p.m. Ten dollar ticketed event at Grace. Okay. So the main thing is these events are coming up. They'll be in March. We'll repeat that. We can even do yeah. a reminder on the show as we approach that date. Uh, I want to look at just some of the scriptures, David. One that always intrigued me is in Acts chapter one, where Luke says about the risen Lord, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering. By many infallible proofs, this is verse 3, um, uh, speaking of those things pertaining to the kingdom of God, but that idea of infallible proofs, and you know, we have the eyewitnesses, we have the empty tomb, uh, etc. of course the fulfillment of prophecy, but could this indeed, this burial cloth, the shroud, be one of those proofs that God has allowed? Now we know in 1948, one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of all time was the Dead Sea Scrolls, yeah. which validated... Uh, the Old Testament accuracy in terms of transmission. And then you had just recently, they, they discovered the Pool of Siloam, which many skeptics and uh, critics says, well, there's no pool. We don't. And they found this thing. And they continue our finding and discovering, uh, not that we need it, but I mean, it, in a sense, it, it, it strengthens and adds to the historical value of our faith. It complements scripture. And of course, David, with the shroud, uh, we know that in each of the Gospels, it makes reference uh, to the linen. Uh, it's just not in one gospel, but it's in all the gospels. There's some reference. I'm looking here at the gospel of John where it says uh, uh, they go to the tomb, uh, Peter and John that is, in verse 4 of chapter 20. And so they both came together and they ran the other disciple out, ran Peter. John must have been a faster runner. And they came to the tomb and stooping down and looking in, they saw the linen cloth lying there. And he did not go in. That's John. Of course, Peter being Peter, it says in the next verse, then Peter came following. He went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in place by itself. Then the other disciple, when he came to the tomb, and he saw, he believed. He sees the linen. You see what I'm saying? He sees the linen uh, folded, so it's not uh, theft. Uh, a corpse that's mm-hmm. been theft, uh, stolen. It's neatly, it's orderly. Uh, could this indeed be the shroud that David is referencing here? I'm going to take it back to you, David. Can you give us some of the, 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 the historical path that this shroud has taken uh, to get to where it is today? Yes, I, I, I can. And it's, uh, before I do that, let me just say real quickly that nothing about the shroud contradicts the scripture. As a matter of fact, we've learned uh, some facets of crucifixion by looking at the shroud. 
For instance, the, the, the wounds were in the wrist, they weren't in the palm of the hands, but for centuries you'd see artistic renditions of the nails through the hands. So it's because of the shroud we've been able to understand first century Roman crucifixion much, much better. Okay, and, and it's interesting to note that, uh, that he was given a Jewish burial. Uh, the size of the cloth itself is eight cubits by two cubits. It has Jewish measurements in its cut. Uh, but anyway, in terms of the historical root of the shroud, um, uh, it, it's probably the least tied down of all the disciplines we're looking at. But first of all, there's a couple reasons why uh, the disciples wouldn't have come out of the tomb waving it in front of them, looking, look what we found. Okay, you know, there's a, there's a prohibition against touching anything that touched the bloody corpse especially that of a condemned criminal. So they couldn't have done it according to Jewish law. Second thing is, 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 is if there was an image on it, if they did see and, and believe, because maybe there was an image. Um, that's, that's one of the thoughts. That, that it, it might have been thought to be a graven image, perhaps, and so they would not wave it again in front of people to declare what they found. With that being said, uh, there is historical reference to a king who lived uh, during the time of Christ. His name was Abgar, uh, and he was a king in the city of Edessa, which is located in Turkey. At that time, it was Asia Minor. And um, he reigned, I think, from 1380 to 1580, so same at the time of Christ. And according to the historical record, of which I've read two of them, uh, History of the Christian Church by Eusebius and the Doctrine of Adai, which is an ancient Syriac text. You can find this information I'm about to give you. Abgar heard of Jesus, and he heard Jesus was a ruler and a king, and he sent word to him that he, there's room in his city for Jesus and he to both dwell. Uh, and according to this, these historical accounts, there was given to Abgar by a messenger named Thaddeus, who was supposedly a disciple of Thomas. Not supposedly, he was a disciple of Thomas, the doubter. Uh, and that he carried with him a cloth with an image on it. And the image was the face of Christ only. It wasn't a full-length body image. It was referred to as the image of Edessa. So after Jesus died, this image uh, you know, was taken to Abgar after his request to Jesus uh, couldn't be accomplished that, that Jesus would go to him. So Abgar receives this cloth. It's a face cloth with an image on it only. And it's in a trellis-like frame uh, given to him. And it was referred to as the image of a death. It was thought to be the face of Christ divinely or miraculously wrought on, on the cloth. Uh, after Abgar's death and his first son's death, his grandson takes the throne and he reverts back to pagan ways and begins to persecute the Christians. The city became a Christian city, by the way, upon receiving this face cloth. And this is historically documented. And so upon the ascension to the throne of the grandson of Abgar, this image disappears. It's thought it's disappearing because he's going to destroy it as he's doing uh, other things in the city. So about 500 years go by, and in the year 525, there is a flood in Edessa. 
Now, this image has not been seen for 500 years. And in rebuilding the wall uh, above the western gate, this face cloth with the image on it is rediscovered. It's brought back, brought back out and celebrated in the city as, again, the image not made with human hands, it's called, by the way. In Greek, it's archaeopoikos, the image not made with human hands. Okay, so it reemerges into the city. It's interesting that the portraits and paintings of Christ and icons and frescoes up to this time in history show Jesus as a youth, a Roman, curly-haired, beardless youth. Around this time in history, 525, the icons and the paintings start to change to the paintings that we see today of the long hair, the long nose, parted beard, the image we see today. And it's believed that that change took place because of the reemergence in 525 above the western gate of this image of Edessa. Now, for hundreds of years, it's in the city again. And in 944, the Byzantine emperor in Constantinople, Constantinople, sends an army to Edessa because now it's under Muslim control. And they want this Christian artifact. And so after months of negotiation, they retrieve this Christian relic from the Muslim-controlled Edessan city and take it back to Constantinople, 944. Historically documented. Once they get it there, it's not referred to as a face cloth anymore. It's referred to as a full-length body image. That's when this full-length shroud emerges, 944. Now, it's thought that it was disguised as a burial shroud when given to Abgar and discovered sometime after 525 and 944, sometime in between there, it was discovered to be a full-length burial shroud, or at least when it got back to Constantinople, because that's the first time in history it's actually referred to as a full-length burial shroud. And the image, the face cloth that was given to Abgar, is no longer mentioned in the historical record. They believe it's one and the same. So from that point, from 944 to today, we have the historical, you know, uh, a trace of where the shroud has been. It's, it, it came to Turin, Italy in 1578. It's been in the church there since 1578. So we believe that we can take it back to about, you know, the 10th century. And then beyond that, Circumstantially, we can link it with the image of Edessa, we believe. And that's the historical record. Okay, that gives us a good overview. David, you had a question. Yeah, um, you know, Dave, there's so many interesting tidbits about, uh, you know, trying to verify that the shroud came and it's almost 2,000 years old. I'd like to talk about that for a little while. You, you mentioned the Shroud of Turin Research Project, and I know that they did some carbon sampling. Uh, and that uh, there were some results of that, and they did three separate tests. Uh, one was in Zurich. Yeah. Let, me, let me correct you there, Dave. Let me, yeah. let me correct you there by saying the Shroud of Turin Research Project didn't do the carbon tests. It was done 10 years after the 78 examination in 1988 by three laboratories, Oxford, uh, England, Zurich, Switzerland, and one in Arizona. Right, okay. Well, th thanks for correcting me on that. And one of the interesting players there uh, was uh, Dr. Rogers, Ray Rogers, who was also at uh, Los Alamos, correct? And and there's correct. a story about him which comes up a little bit later. Um, so, you know, in terms of the results of that carbon testing, uh, I think they came away with a 95% probability 
that uh, the the Turin um, was placed at 1260 to 1390 in terms of uh, AD, in terms of yes. its age. And then um, it was not till sometime later that some lay people took a look at it and realized that the uh, Turin had about 30 different, um, you know, areas where it was fixed in the past by uh, some nuns in 1534 by poor Claire nuns, which possibly indicated that the carbon testing they did could not have been accurate. Um, could you just talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes. Uh, it's, it, it's interesting that um, originally they were supposed to take seven different samples from seven different sites of the shroud and given it to seven different laboratories. In the end, they selected uh, one site and they took three samples from the same site. Yeah. Okay, so those three laboratories measured the same sample. They weren't different samples. Okay, the audience needs to know that. Okay. So, so they arrived at 1260 to 1390, okay? And most likely, that was an accurate uh, date for the sample that was selected. However, that sample site is not consistent with the main body of the shroud. It was in a side strip area because over the centuries, they would hold it up horizontally. This thing is 14 feet long yeah. and 3 feet wide. So to, so to show it before the masses on the cathedral steps, steps over the centuries, they would... Uh, you know, line up the cardinals or the bishops along the length of the shroud and hold it up. And, mm -hmm. and in the corners, as you would imagine, the corners on uh, either side are, are particularly damaged because that's, you know, what, what would happen there. So so that's the area. They took it from one of the corners. Now, uh, and by the way, in 1532, it was in a fire. Two years later, the poor Claire nuns sewed, uh, you know, somewhere between 30 and, you know, 33 patches on it. And yeah. there was also a backing plug backing cloth put mm -hmm. on it from the country of Holland in order to strengthen it. So where they took the sample was from that side strip, that, that, that corner site, if you will. And it's believed by Joe Marino, uh, whom I know very well, and, and his late wife, Sue Benford, that, uh, that that was part of a reweave that was added to the shroud to strengthen it uh, in the mending process of 1534, and the uh, and it had to blend in with the original fabric. And and there's a technique, and, and your listeners can Google it. It's called the invisible French weave, where they can take you know material and weave it in, and you you couldn't tell the new from the old. And yeah. With with it being dyed and things like that, mm -hmm. it was done expertly. And so it's believed that what they took was part of a reweave from the Middle Ages, and that's what it dated 1260. But it's not indicative of the main body of the shroud. And one other thing, if there was, if we're talking a radiation event which created the image, and we haven't got into that yet, but if no. we're talking about that, we're talking, uh, you know, a, a particle radiation at the atomic level, which, which would, there would be a carbon enrichment in, in, in the linen, which would render the date younger than perhaps it really is. So, yeah. you know, uh, we're going to not get too technical, but can you go into the radiation? I mean, essentially what's on that shroud is almost like a negative of a photo, like a, a blast of light imprinted yeah. that. Uh, and yeah. I know, David, you want to say something too, David. Yeah, yeah. After, after, let yeah. David lead sure. and then you come back. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. 
Is that was your question? I'm sorry. Yeah, Talking about you, the radiation. Yeah, if you could explain. Yeah. Yeah, well, one, one interesting thing about the image forming process is that it was believed to be more light than heat, uh, and, and that the light source came from the body internally and not externally. See, when we take photographs, it's an external light source. But this image processing mechanism came from the body itself because it encoded negative-like qualities in the image. When you take a photograph of the clock and you develop it in the darkroom, the negative that emerges is completely opposite of what was photographed. Just like back in the day, I don't know about Wanda and David, but John, certainly you and I, when we took our, uh, you know, Polaroid cameras to the drugstore and we got our negatives with our positives, you saw the difference. Right. And that's what we see in the shroud. And um, so the clock itself is, is the negative. And when it's photographed, a positive image emerges, okay? And the interesting thing about this uh, process is that it encoded three-dimensional information in, in the image. They, they know how far away uh, his eye sockets were from the cloth that passed over it. You know, the cloth would not have been touching the eye sockets. They were recessed, okay? And the nape of the neck was recessed. It would come over the chin, you know, down across the chest. But there were areas on the shroud that weren't touching the cloth, uh, you know, the body wasn't touching the cloth and yet there there was an image from those areas enclosed and coated on the cloth so whatever created the image acted through space over time and we're talking a millisecond of time yeah a flash. But it's believed that a, a, a twinkling of an eye a flash right. yeah i wrote a paper called the shekinah glory of the lord uh, in the shroud of turin uh, and um, i presented it at a conference in 2014 in st louis and in that paper i liken uh, you know compare the image on the shroud with the images that were flashed on surfaces of buildings in nagasaki and hiroshima yeah, right the, yeah right the, the blacks uh, right. the, the, these were shadow-like images silhouettes and that's what we have on the shroud we have no um uh, borders, uh, you know, there, there are no, there's no outline on the shroud. You know, if it was a painting, the, the, the painter would out, there'd be outlines there. There would be borders. There is none. Okay, it's 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 a silhouette-like, and so, so we have three-dimensional information, which came from the body itself. The light source came from the body itself. So they're talking uh, radiation. They're not sure what kind. If it's gamma, if it's there is X-ray qualities to the matter. For instance, the hands that are crossed over the private area. If you look at the back of the hands and, and you look at the fingers closely, you you might say to yourself, those fingers appear abnormal, abnormally long. But what you're seeing is you're seeing the fingers uh, extend through the back of the palm of the hand to the wrist. So you're seeing the complete length of the finger through the back of the hand. That's why they're so long, which is an x-ray is that there's been some kind of an x-ray-like quality to the image process in which they can see the orbits of the eyes and the skull. It's been talked about teeth being able to be seen uh, with the right equipment. David, so, so, so what do skeptics say? And how do they, I mean, there's no paint, there's no brush stroke. How do they explain right. the imaging on that, on that cloth? Yeah, well, everything they've tried to... Uh, you know, used to demonstrate a hot statue, a, a wet towel thrown over it and pulled over and back, you know, quick enough. And uh, it, they, they all fail miserably. And to answer that question, John, 
I can only say that that there are really no solid arguments against this thing potentially being what it's believed to be, the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. And any argument that they bring, I mean, there's there's nothing new under the sun, you know, Solomon said. It's like we've put that, you know, to, to rest. You know, it's not a painting. There is no pigment on the shroud. In the fire, if there was pigment, it would have ran and smeared, and this image would have been destroyed. You know, uh, there's real blood on the cloth, you know, pre-mortem blood and post-mortem blood. There's serum halos around the, uh, the, the blood marks on the scourges on the back, you can see serum halos where the serum separated from the whole blood. How could a medieval forger have ever thought of this before the invention of a microscope? It's preposterous. So I get real frustrated, John, with all these stupid, uh, you know, uh, arguments uh, as to why, um, you know, we can't trust the science, you know, or, or that the science isn't really saying what, what, what it's saying, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I want uh, an individual to to do with this information is to be objective and to be intellectually honest with what's being given, you know. And and if you're going to say it's a fake, then you have to you have to demonstrate how it was faked. You know, David, you mentioned the, uh, the the carbon dating, the three laboratories. They came out and said it's a fake, it's a hoax. Yet they didn't tell us how it was done. You can't declare something a fake without showing how how it was fake mm-hmm. we have to observe it and we have they don't know how this image was created let alone being able to duplicate you know dave um i had some other interesting tidbits i just wanted to mention as i started to research this i was fascinated to learn from some of the scientists that that flowers uh, were you know um, were seen in the shroud? Uh, they were located mm-hmm. uh, only from Jerusalem. Yeah. There was dirt on the shroud, yeah. only located yeah. from Jerusalem. The other interesting yeah. thing is they found coin images uh, dated yeah. 2936 A.D. during Pontius yeah. Pilate times. Now, when people died, they yeah. would sometimes put coins over their eyes, and they found the perfect image of a coin dated in that era when Pontius Pilate was. Uh, was in rain. Yeah. Now, now that really caught my attention. Uh, could you speak yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, that's that's those are those are great points, uh, David. And let me say, let me go to the flower images first. And we talked about the image of Edessa, this face cloth given to Abgar, uh, you know, uh, year, you know, centuries ago, um, and and from and that was in Turkey, uh, which is now Turkey, of course. At that time, it was Asia Minor. And then, of course, it's been in France and Italy, the shroud I'm talking about. And um, we can look at the pollen evidence on the shroud. And we can, they've identified 58 different plant species on the shroud based on the pollen evidence. The majority of those pollens come from the surrounding areas of Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. Uh, Some of them are halophytes. They only grow in the desert. Three of them are thorn plants uh, that are uh, indigenous to that area. Uh, around the head region, these pollens were found. So, and and there have been pollens found uh, from the Anatolian steppes, which is in Turkey. So it seems to verify that this cloth has been in Turkey in its past, as well as pollen particles in France and Italy, and so on and so forth over the centuries. 
so, and there are flower images that, uh, you know, and you have to be highly trained to be able to see these images. And, and there, were, there was a palynologist, a leading pollen expert in Israel and a leading botanist in Israel who confirmed the pollen and the flower images on the shroud. How about the coins, David? Which, How about the coins? Yeah, yeah, look, yeah the coins, uh, and I happen to have two uh, coin, uh, coins that uh, are identical to what's over the shroud of Turin. I got it in Biblical Archaeology Review many years ago. But they are Judean leptons, particularly over the right eye. It's, 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 it's noticeable, much more so than the left, but we think we see something on the left as well. But it's known as the Judean leptin. It was minted by a guy named Pontius Pilate. It's also referred to as the widow's mite. Remember, she put two you know, mites in the treasury, and she gave more than the rich man. And it was minted between 29 and 36 AD by Pontius Pilate. <clears throat> and this is the image we see over the eye, uh, of the right eye of the man on the shroud. Now, some scientists would question this, because you could only see that image on one particular set of photographs that were taken in 1931 by Giuseppe Henri. In 1898, the first photographs of the shroud were taken by Secundopia. That's when the photographic negative uh, image was found on the shroud in 1898. So 30 years later, they photographed it again, as well as in 1978. But it's only on the 31 photographs that we can see this image over the right eye with letters, the letters U-C-A-I, which correspond to the 16 letters spelling Tiberius Caesar in Greek. Those letters are there, as well as with, as well as an astrologer's wand in the middle of it, that correspond to the, uh, you know, astrologer's wand on this Roman leptin, minted between 29 and 36 A.D. So this is over the eye. So if the carbon date says, well, it was manufactured sometime between 1260 and 1390, you have to confront them with the evidence of the image of the coin over the eyes. Right. How about the weave? How about the weave of the, the, the cloth? Yeah, it's a three-to-one herringbone twill weave with a Z-twist. Now, I don't know what that means, but maybe there's some textile experts <laughs> who know what it means. But it's interesting that this would have been an expensive piece of cloth manufactured in the first century, they believe probably in Syria, which is north of Israel. That's where it would have been manufactured. It would have been a pure white linen cloth fit for a king, as well as, you know, um, a burial garment, a Jewish burial garment. So, um, you know, it fits. Um, let me get real quick on the dirt on the feet. They've discovered dirt on the feet as well as on the left knee because there's no skin on the left knee. And the tip of the nose has been abrased off. It's been excoriated away, and there's dirt on the tip of the nose. They believe when he fell, probably face first, with the beam tied on his back. And that dirt that was lifted off those areas, the tip of the nose, the left knee, and the soles of the feet, <clears throat> has a mineral in it, and the signature of this mineral is comes from one place on the earth, the limestone quarries of Jerusalem. It's called travertine aragonite. And when you look at the, you know, the, the limestone, the roads, and, and, and the tombs, uh, you'll find this signature of calcite. It's, it's specific to there, and that's what we see on the shroud. So that's getting to the, uh, to the dirt. Very interesting. Now, one other thing about uh, the, uh, the cloth itself. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's uh, cut eight cubits by two cubits, uh, you know, Jewish burial customs. The fact that the man in the shroud was buried at all in an expensive piece of fine linen uh, was unusual. A condemned man 
particularly uh, you know executed that's a good point state, right would be thrown outside the city on a pile of bodies and, and the animals and the birds of prey sure. would do their and yet this man was was buried in a fine piece of linen that was unusual okay he wasn't washed either the body wasn't washed uh he was buried after the manner and customs of the jews but uh of course if uh, you know you bring a condemned criminal down from the cross who happened to be Jewish and you're going to bury him after the manner of the Jews and you don't have time to wash the body, which that's because of Passover, you would, right? Sabbath. You would bury it in the tomb as is, maybe clean it a little bit because you don't have much time, and then you'd bring it back out and do the job after the Passover was ended. And you would might put David flowers around the body, bouquets of flowers. Which would they do today, don't they, in funeral homes sure. when they go to wake to to arrest the develop the development of, of you know the, the decomposition of the body, which didn't happen by the way. They've been all over the shroud. This is important. They found no evidence of decay, body rot, decomposition on the shroud. Yeah, you know, body, you know what I find interesting. This body was mute. This body was mutilated. Yeah, I find interesting is that. It's it's a, it's a juxtaposition of both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know these two things come together at this point, and um, yes, and it, yes. what it is the cornerstone of the Christian faith: death, burial, resurrection. Yeah. And it goes to the yeah. we were talking earlier, David, before the show started. Of, you know, we deal with many different uh, people, different belief systems, and that and they they all have a teaching. You know, they have a, a body of teaching, but Christianity is built on a person. And then, of course, his greatest teachings. But the, the key there is death, burial, resurrection. And we see that yeah. way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where it says the seed of the woman will breeze, you know, hit the head, uh, crush the yeah. head of the serpent, but he, he is healed will be bruised. In other words, you know, yeah. Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. You know, he was, he was wounded for our transgressions. But I find it very interesting, this juxtaposition of death and resurrection. And another thing at Calvary, it says way back there in Genesis 3.15, he'll bruise his head, right? Kill him. That yep. is to say, take the power away from Satan. Yep. Where was Jesus crucified? What was it called? Golgotha, which means what? Yeah. Place of the skull. Yeah. The head. Wow. You know, and so it, the, yep. the beauty of the symmetry that you're presenting here with these two you may have a comment here, Wanda. These two central pillars of the Christian faith, if indeed this yeah. shroud is, is, and there's so much, that the more I study it, I mean, it's it's very, very yeah. compelling. But you have the it juxtaposition of the death right. and the resurrection. Yeah. Which is Wanda, you wanted to say something. This is Wanda, David. Yeah. Well, I'm, yes, okay. I'm, I had a question more so than a statement. Because okay. uh, there was in 24, 14 or 2015, one of I was in Israel, and when we did our tour, there was a plate uh, where we were told that the body of Jesus mm -hmm. was washed. The anointing stone. Mm -hmm. The anointing stone. So, in, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Yes. 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 Yeah. And there are actual. You can see still where the stains were left. Now, based on this, I, I heard you say there was a quick washing. Would that be 
at that at that point and at that place, I'm trying to make sure that I'm connecting my dots accurately. Yeah, yeah. No, no. That anointing stone is a completely different um, a thing than okay. where uh, Christ's body would have been washed. Yeah. No, when okay. I said it may have been washed, I, most likely it, it, it wasn't because there's so much blood on the shroud. I mean, mm. but yet... You know, maybe they tried to do something, uh, you know, before they put him in the tomb, but, but but they had to do it quickly. So, okay. so no, that anointing stone in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre isn't the place. Okay. And I'm not certain the body was washed. It doesn't appear that it was washed at all. Okay. But blood can blood can flow, by the way, uh, after death. Right, a lot of people sure. think it can't, but it definitely can. Right. And, and that's what we see on the shroud. And, okay. and you know, you talk about, you know, uh, you know, what we see on the shroud is, is, is we see passion. Mm. We see death. By Roman crucifixion, by the way, that death, which was outlawed by Constantine in the early 4th century. So he was, he was crucified Roman style, which is, which is important. Yeah. Mm. And we see burial, Jewish burial, by the way. And, we, and I believe we see resurrection on this cloth. And, mm. uh, and that, that's from the image. It's interesting that, that uh, you know, to get into the resurrection mechanics, about five years ago, there was a uh, group of scientists in Italy who were able to duplicate, you know, the image forming uh, the color of a fiber, uh, just like the shroud. And, and let me just say real quickly that when, when you look at the shroud under the microscope, you see the threads comprised of fibers. They're called fibrils. And one fiber uh, is, is about one-tenth in diameter of a human hair. Take a hundred of those fibers, weave them together, and you have a thread. So when you look at it under a microscope, high magnification, you can see the individual fibers. The image on the surface of the shroud is on the top two fibers of those 100 deep. If you looked underneath those top two or three, the rest would be pure white. They weren't chemically changed the color yellow. And so whatever created the image only, uh, you know, happened on the top two fibers of 100. Now, this laboratory in Italy was able to duplicate the color on a fiber. Uh, and it took them three to five billion watts of energy, one laser beam, at one forty billionth of a second, and they have the identical color without destroying it or, you know, making it too brittle or whatever as the shroud. So you're talking twinkling of an eye here. But they said that if every pore of the body there were to eliminate a laser beam of light, uh, you know, in a radiated process, uh, it would take all the energy of the universe uh, <laughs> to do it. Mm. And they said they don't have that kind of power available to them. So, you know, we're coming near the end of the program here, David. I want you to give your website out again one more time here, contact information. Yes, yes. And we will, uh, I promise, uh, give notice as we approach that date of your conferences in March. We'll actually get the yeah, word that, out again. Oh, that, that would be great, John. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my website is maninthesroud.org, one word, lowercase, maninthesroud.org. And you could you can uh, get all kinds of information there, and um, you know my phone number's there, and I uh, welcome to, uh, to to hear from anyone. Yeah, another interesting find, maybe you can battery. speak to this, David, was the Johannian bone, foot bone that was discovered oh, yeah. in Jerusalem. What do you want to talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, uh, in, in the late 60s, archaeologists found uh, an ossuary, which is a bone box. You know, they rebury the dead after a year. Mm-hmm. They go in, bodies, you know, disintegrated, take the bones, put them in a limestone box. So they discovered uh, Yohonan, uh, a first century uh, Jewish crucifixion. Victim. John. Hey, John. Yeah, yeah. Yohonan, John. And uh, uh, he had a, a nail. By the way, the wrist bones showed um, uh, wear uh, at the end of the um, lower forearm, the radius and the ulna. It showed wear and tear, which is believed the nail uh, was inserted. Uh, and um, the foot had a nail going right. through the ankle bone, and um, it was bent at the end because they believe it hit a knot in, into the side of the wood. But that victim was crucified with his feet astride the beam. In uh-huh. other words, the beam would have been in the middle between his feet and his legs. He straddled it. Nailed, straddled it. Good, mm-hmm. good point. Straddled it. Yeah. The man on the shroud doesn't show that um, that kind of uh, nailing, but yet there's uh, appears that the left foot was placed on top of the right uh, foot, and there was one nail that went through both. And so that's how he was crucified. Okay. But it's interesting the Yohonan bone. Yeah, right. Uh, that was found in the late 60s. You know, you know, as we come to the close of this program, you just gave us about 20 uh, points of evidence. You know, cloth, pollen. Uh, wounds, uh, X-ray, yeah, and and what are the skeptics? Do they, they just rely on that carbon fourteen, which is probably taken from a corner? That what is their main uh, point of attack on this? The skeptics. Well, again, the, their their main point of attack basically is it can't be. <laughs> just know? they just and a so definitive statement. It can't be. It, it can't be. It can't be. You know, God doesn't exist. And, you know, oh, I see. Uh, okay. You know, it can't, can't be seen. We can't prove it. We can't, you know, all these things. And yet, you know, you have all these, like you used the word compelling. The evidence is compelling. It's scientific. It's historical. I think we can leave theology in here, of course. Uh, and one, intru- one more interesting thing, uh, you know, before this program ends, of all the, the damage done to this body, and medical doctors, forensic pathologists, trauma surgeons, Across the board, have said they've never seen a body more damaged than yeah, the man. Right, of course, yeah. Isaiah says he was marred more than any man. But when you look at all these wounds, atrocious, and yeah. then we get up close and personal in our presentation. It, it, it wasn't some sanitized, you know, a little blood, uh, you know, trickling here and there. Exactly. Yeah. So when we when we look at it up close and we see the damage more than any corpse doctors have seen, and yet we look at the face. We don't see a death mass. That's true. We don't see yeah. the anguish, yeah. the suffering, the agony. You've seen it in World War II Holocaust sure. upon death. But you see a peaceful repose. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. One more thing. The Prince of Peace. It, yeah. Right. Uh, Dave, you know, just a couple things in closing that we didn't touch on. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is in uh, 337 uh, AD, that was the last Roman crucifixion. And we're seeing right. crucifixion in, in the linen, and the carbon dating claimed to be around 1260 or so. The other thing right. is that I found in the research is Dr. Rogers from Los Alamos, where they built the nuclear bomb, before he yep. died of cancer in 2005, he did another, uh, he took another look at the date of the cloth, and that's when he found the cotton weaves intertwined with the linen. And he definitely yep. believed that the carbon dating was inaccurate. 
So um, yeah, well, I just yeah. want to leave that out yeah. there before we close, and maybe you can touch on it briefly. Yeah, real quickly, uh, uh, Ray Rogers, who I never met, but he was part of STIRP, and he was a, a thermal chemist from Los Alamos. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, on the theory by uh, Joe Marino and Sue Benford that this thing was part of the reweave, the sample site, he said, they're nuts. I can prove them in five minutes. He said, I still have a few threads. He took them out, and within 20 minutes, he saw cotton traces in those fibers, which, you know, cotton wasn't available in the first century. But it, it, was was it was linen. It was linen. What he, what was he wrapped in? Linen. 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 Right. Yeah. And there wasn't cotton in the first century, but in the Middle Ages there was cotton looms, and they loomed. Uh, they, you know, they loomed linen with. And, and linen was a priestly garment. I mean, that, in a sense, that was. That's what, right. You know, very very That's good. That's right. And so, and yeah, and so he came out with his paper, and it was accepted in this tremendously peer-reviewed scientific journal that uh, that the date is incorrect because it was part of a. Well, I, you know, as, like we say, and we only have a couple of minutes, but it's been incredible, David. I mean, I met David in person, and his his background in the literature he has, and uh, just we just touched the surface of this this morning, David. And there's so much more. Absolutely. Out of curiosity, well, let me ask you. Yeah. Out of curiosity alone, I would encourage our audience and our listenership to seriously think about attending these lectures, and Absolutely. and you know. Again, it seems like in the past half a century, God is releasing from the Dead Sea Scrolls the discovery of the Pool of Siloam, yeah. the pilot stone that yeah. they found in Caesarea yeah. that attests to the yeah. fact that, you know, on and on and on. And could this be? I mean, this is this is all. This would be almost greater than Noah's Ark. I'm serious because it's a, it it yeah. provides the crucifixion mm-hmm. and the resurrection. Yeah, right, all there. And one Please. one other thing, real quickly. Please, one other thing, real quickly. Like the doubting Thomas needed physical evidence and the Lord gave it to him. Wow. Could it be that the 21st century with the science is saying come those who need something tangible. That's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. David, one last thing. No, uh, Dave, thank you very much. Uh, really enjoyed it. And boy, My pleasure. This, this is pleasure. really thought-provoking. It really is. And uh, we'll My look pleasure. forward, David. Maybe we'll be able to cer- certainly we'll announce, but maybe we'll have a chance to get you on yeah. again and uh, and uh, look at this yeah, evidence. If you would thoughts? approach at that time, it would be, a, it would be a, a, an appropriate thing to do. Wanda, any closing thoughts? Yes, just please come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Right. Well, maybe I'll I'm close right. it in a word of prayer for our, our audience. And great. then when we close, David, I want you to give that website one last time, too. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that uh, as we go from Thanksgiving to Christmas to the New Year, we're very conscious of the fact, and we affirm the fact that... Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And Jesus simply wasn't a prophet, a great teacher, a guru, a master. He was a dying, rising savior. And because he lives, we can also live. And maybe there's somebody in our listenership this morning that has doubts, is not sure. And we just encourage him, like Jesus says, come and see, you know, come in and look at this evidence that's been provided in so many different directions. And so we ask a special blessing on all those listening this morning especially those that are doubting or fearful or not yet made that commitment to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I ask a special blessing on David and his ministry and the way he challenges people to look at the evidence, just simply look at the evidence. And I pray that you would meet all of his needs that is necessary for the finances, for the logistics of setting up these auditoriums and these places. Maybe others are going to come on board and venues that he doesn't even know about. So again, Lord, we thank you for our time together. Thank you for this Thanksgiving weekend. We have so much to be thankful for. And we promise to give you all the thanks and glory for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 David, please give out your site one more time. 
Yeah, one more time. It's maninthesroud.org, lowercase one word, maninthesroud.org. Thank you, David. I'll, we'll be in touch. Okay, thank you. Been a pleasure. God thank bless you, you, folks. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Wanda. Oh.